you are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit Win, Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global marketing lead at Win by night and product manager and university level faculty by day. Hello and welcome back to the Win Win Podcast. If you've been a listener for a little bit, you would have known that we have hosted a variety of speakers who have all spoken about data ethics and privacy laws. No company has been more closely intertwined with this conversation than Facebook. Today's episode with Shelby Jones, who's culture lead for Black women at Facebook and member of the creative shop at Facebook, looks at the other side of the company one where she helps design, create, and execute on digital campaigns that help businesses innovate the way that they connect with their consumers, which has become increasingly more important, especially during COVID times. Shelby's professional trajectory includes co-producing 29 Rooms, a pop-up experience that engages all human senses as audiences walk from room to room that allows them to engage with different brand initiatives. It's the ultimate mix of innovating experience design and combining it with a commercial use. Also, I have to say, I have gone to it pre-COVID times and can confirm how cool it actually is. On top of her day job at Facebook, Shelby also started a podcast that examines what normal means, simply calling it Define Normal. There, she speaks to different guests to hear about their experiences, ultimately settling on the idea that normal is not an actual construct and varies person by person. Today's conversation was a lot of fun and very informative as I got to learn about Shelby's tips on how to keep it cool while innovating on social media, all about best practices and the way that she's helping Facebook see, acknowledge, and support Black women. Hi, Shelby. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Hi, Zoya. Thanks for having me. I have to be a little geeky here and say that it is the most exciting thing to have someone on the win-win podcast that is a fellow podcaster in addition to their innovation role. So an extra big welcome to you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So taking it back to your background, you grew up in Ohio, went to Kent State, and then worked to make it uh, to New York City. That's a story that speaks to me a lot, and I'm sure it will to a lot of the people listening. So in the moment where you're really going through the steps, was there an image of success that you were aiming for in a career, or were you just aiming to get out of Ohio? I would say I was just aiming to get out of Ohio. I always dreamed of working in media. So my first job at Complex, I accomplished that. But I just dreamed of being here and getting out of Ohio and having some kind of professional career. So I'm really excited to dive deeper into your work at Facebook's Creative Shop and as a culture lead for Black women at Facebook. For those that don't know, Facebook's Creative Shop is an in-house creative strategy department that works with brands and agencies to help them leverage Facebook's tools and capabilities. So what are some really exciting ways that you've been able to help companies to try out new things and innovate on top of just the standard good old Facebook ad? Totally. So I'm on the creative services team at Creative Shop. So a lot of the work we do is working on our production specifically. So there's a lot of AR, VR work that we're doing with clients. That's really cool. And also just focusing on hiring different production houses that are minority owned or are women owned and like going across the board of making sure that our ads aren't just ads. So like 
whether we're doing really cool components with AR VR or we're working with different production houses, we're just always looking for ways to stick out and build the best in class creative for all of our clients. Yeah. And then looking back to kind of your background, what really prepared you to get there and, and, you know, get this amazing role? My background is so all over the place. I would say that a lot of the work I did was close to production. So in my first role ever, I was a sales assistant at Complex. So working near a sales team has always kind of prepared me for coming to Creative Shop because the sales team at Facebook is our biggest partner. So Mm -hmm. we are added value to those clients. So my journey of working with sales teams and media really helped me understand that relationship between sales and their client, but also how important the creative is. Also, my time at Refinery29 helped me a lot because I was focused on business affairs there as it related to production. So I learned a lot about the operations of a production, which has been amazing for Facebook because we're a big operational place. Right. So you mentioned that before your Facebook days, you were on uh, the experiential team at Refinery29, where you co-produced 29 Rooms, which is this really awesome immersive experience where you walk through an actual 29 different rooms, which are created by brands, and you experience different installations. So what was that like? And what are you leveraging from your experience design days to now bring to the digital world? Refinery29 was amazing. I've never worked on a project like 29 Rooms. So what was so cool about it was convincing clients to buy into it. You're basically going to these big box clients like Dyson and Cadillac and saying, hi, will you spend X amount of money creating this room to immerse these fans into it? And people like Cadillac are wondering, how do our fans fit into that? Like GM kind of skews kind of older. What does this have to do with us? And so it was really fun going into those strategy meetings and convincing people, this is what you need to do. You need to be here. And this is why this is the demographic we're reaching. As far as bringing that to digital, it's kind of the same because there are clients who archivally aren't huge in the creative digital space. So it's really fun for our team to convince them, like, this is how you can play in digital using Creative Shop. Here are the creative ideas. Here are our best practices. This is what we can do to elevate your creative to the next level. And then as far as, you know, sitting so closely to sales and you saying that sales is the biggest partner, what have been just new ways that you've had to adjust to working, you know, balancing that creative, innovative vision with feasibility? It's always a balance. It's just making sure that sales understands the value that we're adding. Honestly, sales is very excited about Creative Shop. Creative Shop is a team that's really loved at Facebook. So they're excited to work with us and bring us into projects. But there's always that element of realism of what we can do within the time constraints, what we can do surrounding certain campaigns. So keeping that balance of the whimsy of Creative Shop and showing them what we can do, but also that realism that becomes very hard because we can come in with a great idea. We can sit in rooms and say, we're going to do this. It's going to be amazing. And then we sit down and we're like, we don't have time to do that. So what can we do in this time? And it's hard sometimes to bridge that gap of your excitement and creativity and the realism. What has been like an example or a time where you feel like you were, you really had to like go in there and, and really change the minds and how were you able to, like you said, make it happen? I would say a time that I had to go in and change minds. So honestly, we do a program 
with design on called Design on Demand. And Design on Demand basically is a program where we bring on a bunch of vendors to create work for us that's not going directly to the client, they're prototypes. So we're mocking up this work to present to clients. And a lot of times we have to convince people that this work is worth it. So all the ideas that we're dreaming up, people sometimes want to see it before it actually happens. So going in and convincing our XFNs, our cross-functional partners, that we need this program was a big moment for our team. And I definitely didn't do it alone. Um, It was convincing everyone that we needed this in order for people to see the work we can create. Because sometimes we're in rooms and we're like, we can do this really awesome thing. And then they've not, they haven't seen it, but they're also not sure if they want to do it. So that program is really transformational because we were able to mock up and then show them in decks, hey, this is what we can bring to the table. But it's a fight. It's a fight to get that budget because it's a nice to have. So we had to go and convince people and we continue to convince people year over year to get it. And even though you yourself are in such a cross-functional capacity working with all these stakeholders, like what are some things that you've learned about design and its role in innovation or maybe other functions and their roles in innovation? I've learned that design often is overlooked. When I think about my team, it's mostly creatives. So even working on creative services, specifically for business affairs, design along with operational roles like mine are the minority. So when I think about design and innovation, it's putting it more at the forefront. Less, we have this idea, designers, how do you attack it? But like, we should be asking designers first sometimes. Like we can be afford to be designed first in some of our programs and think about the trends they're seeing. Think about the aesthetics that they're coming up with. And we have some really talented designers on my team. They illustrate, they animate, and they're so amazing. So sometimes we can afford to listen to them when we get a brief instead of the other way around, going creative and then design. You know, it's so interesting that you say that because I feel like with, you know, Steve Jobs and Apple and just big tech design is such a word that's thrown around. But then ultimately, like you said, it still remains to be like this sometimes afterthought or a struggle to get budget for. Why do you think that is? I think it's because people prioritize creative. By trade, we have more creatives than we have designers. So it's easier for people to provide that spotlight to creative just by sheer volume. Design is so important, but I also think in a tech company, it takes more of a precedent when it comes to product. So there are a ton of people who are obsessed with how our products look every day from the icon to the actual UX. But when it comes to creative on advertisement, Design is important, but there are so many less designers on our team than there are creatives. So there's almost more of a creative voice. Our designers are a small little part of our huge team. And then those that aren't familiar with kind of the advertising world, how would you describe the role of creatives? So it's something I struggled with when I joined Creative Shop. It's like an agency. Creative Shop is modeled similar to an agency, but we're in a tech company. So there's a, lo- there's a lot of ways that that's unrealistic, right? Just due to the infrastructure of a tech company. But creatives have so many hats. When I joined, I just thought, okay, great. You're a creative strategist. You get briefs, you make it happen. But we have creatives who come from the agency background of being more like planners. But then we also have like true creators who innovate and have these like really amazing ideas behind branding and how to bring these briefs to life. So Some of them are more tactical. Uh, Some of them are more big ideas, kind of depending on their role at their former agency. 
you work with different businesses of all sizes. So what has been the biggest difference between working with some of those larger brands to really getting to know those small business owners and mid-sized business owners? I've always loved working with small businesses. And at Facebook, we have a soft spot. I also love working with nonprofits. We do a lot of work with the ad council. And I find that work to be really awesome. But there's such a difference in support for those clients, right? So if you're talking ad council, the way they're set up is very different than working with a Coke or working with a small business that makes like hand sanitizer in LA. So thinking about those different businesses, what I've learned is your approach has to be different because the support is different. So if you're talking a big Fortune 500 company, they have so much support and they have an agency of their own. So we're talking to the client, we're talking to the agency and there's sales involved. Like there's so much going on for some of our small and medium businesses that are SMBs, they're not managed clients. So perhaps they don't have one salesperson that's assigned to them. They definitely don't have an agency. So the way we show up for them has to be different. So I've loved working across to see what kind of support each team needs. But I personally love the work we do with small and medium businesses because of the impact. Like, I feel like they need us more in some ways. Yeah, actually, a uh, fun fact, our New York chapter lead, Ariba, is the head of innovation at Ad Council. So I guess mm-hmm. all our words are worlds are converging together. So big shout out to Ariba if she's listening. Outside of that, I guess something that I'm curious is, is there something that you learned from the small businesses that you brought to the big businesses and then something you learned from the big businesses and brought to the little ones? I would say what we've taken from small businesses and given to big businesses is that not every idea has to be a big, splashy idea. Sometimes it's just about elevating what you already have. A lot of the times when we work with small businesses, we are using assets they already have. We are using assets from a local photographer. Like It's not a big shoot, but some of this creative is so impressive. So we've been able to take that to larger businesses and make them realize You don't have to do the splashiest thing available to make your campaign land. When it comes to the other way around, what we're taking from big businesses and giving to little businesses is that... (laughs) I love that we're calling them that. So so, uh, professional. (laughs) Big and little businesses. Um, We are giving them the chance to think through structure. So maybe you don't have the manpower of a huge Fortune 500 company, but think about where are ways that you can put kind of a system in place. You can either assign, say you have one person, so you have one social media manager, you have one creative. What are the roles of those people? Because a lot of the time, people think running an Instagram is just a very simple thing. I've been doing a little social media managing on the side and it's not. It's hard. Yeah. And and it's actually one of the most like cross-functional jobs in the world. Like I say this because I run marketing globally for Win, and we have this incredible social media manager and people don't realize the hours that she has to do. She has to stay relevant and know what's happening in innovation, but also the women that are trailblazing, but then she has to do the assets. I mean, like who knew that it was this hard? It's so hard. And also just planning the strategy because I have to admit, I thought it was, okay, well, today is Christmas. So I will post something (laughs) about Christmas where it's like, what is your message relating to Christmas? Is that relevant to everyone? Not everyone celebrates Christmas. Thinking globally because social media is global. So it's so, there's so much to do. So getting those businesses in a place where you're not just posting cute stuff you have, like there's a strategy and there's some thought behind what you're doing. And sometimes brands feel so small that they don't think 
oh, I mean, what's my strategy? Like I just make really cool stuff and people buy it. And that could be Mm -hmm. true, but the elevation is getting a system in place. I guess something else that I I think about is like also this notion of platform and and cross-functional platforms. I think I always use this example, maybe already used this on, on this on this podcast, but basically it's like this idea of when TV came around and people were so used to doing radio that they would come onto TV screens and literally read out the script as if it was still radio. So I think it's, I'm really curious to know, like, how are you really pushing people to not only embrace this new format, but to really maximize and innovate on it? We do a lot of work around best practices as we are learning ourselves, but also utilizing everything on the platform. There are so many new features that come out on Instagram, come out on Facebook. And for IG, the best advice that we give is to try everything. There Mm. is so much like fixation on stories or what you post on your feed. But live comes out with amazing features. We're doing badges right now. Mm. And with badges, you can tip different creators. Like you can give them money for what they're doing. And you you need to think of ways as your as a business is how what does that have to do with me? What can I do with that? So all these different reels is great. The discovery on reels is amazing. You could mm. post a reel right now and I could swipe and eventually find you. And now I'm looking at your small business. So being able, being agile and trying everything, not trying to just replicate the old ways of social media. Because we've been doing this for a while now. It's almost been a decade of playing in the space. Right. And I think when people view social media and like in comparison to something like a Shopify or a Squarespace, I don't think they realize like the fact that this has been the platform for influencer economy. It is It invented the influencer economy. So beyond what you mentioned, what is the real innovation space that you're seeing, whether that's for Facebook or Instagram? Like, What are you personally really excited about? I'm really excited about creators of color, but I'm also more specifically excited about how they're having this intersection of, I would say, they're a radical like self, like they're just very much like this is who I am, but they also have a bit of an aesthetic. So I think we're moving away from influencers who are just influencers, like they just take pretty pictures. Mm-hmm. People have so many thoughts, and I would even take that a step further. Like, I'm so excited about Gen Z. Like seeing the content they have is insane <laughs> because they have this, I am who I am. I know things about politics. This is what I like to wear. But then at the same time, they're very thoughtful and have like things to say. And when I think about our age group, when I think about millennials and being mm. in your, like, your late 20s, early 30s, it's – I struggle with that. There wasn't an identity on social media. It was all about aesthetic. It was all about my grid is pretty. I post cute photos. So I'm really excited about creators posting things that aren't aesthetically pleasing, but they're just trying to get a message out. And that's changed the way I use social. I'm a lot less precious with it. So I'm excited to see what they do and how they change the world. I have to ask you like such a non-innovation question, but (laughs) how the heck do you keep up with them? Because I am literally going through my contact list being like, who is from Gen Z and can they tell me how to do a transition or some cool thing? (laughs) So I would say two ways, the creators IG, so at creators on Instagram, we plug all kinds of amazing creators. Um, 
across age ranges, but I found some of my favorite Gen Z people there. Also, um, this is off brand because I work at Facebook, but TikTok. <laughs> I am on TikTok all the time, just scrolling mm. and and watching their videos. And they just say whatever they want to say. And some of it is very thoughtful. I thought at first they were silly, but I'm like, you know more about politics than half my friends. So incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge accountability thing. And and speaking of accountability, uh, so we actually have Aurora James coming on our podcast, which is super exciting. She is the founder of the 15% pledge. And I know from your background, you also got involved with the 15% pledge. So how did that come about? and, And what has your role and experience been with that? So I love the 15% pledge. Everything that Aurora has built has been so amazing and it's been an honor to be a part of it. So it came about because Aurora has a relationship with Eva Chen Mm -hmm. and they were kind of talking about what she was launching, what she was working on. And a few people on our team ended up volunteering. Like it became this summer, I got a phone call and I'm by a pool in Ohio and I got a phone call (laughs) from a teammate, Rishi, and he called me and he said, hey, I'm getting involved with the 15% pledge. Um, do you have any interest? And I said, sure. I don't really know what it is, but let's go. And so the next thing you know, I'm looking at my phone. What is this pledge? Um, what is Aurora building? And I read it. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. I'm Obviously, as a Black woman, I'm all in. And so my experience has been project management for social, which is why I said all I said about how, how hard running a social media account mm-hmm. is. A few designers from Creative Shop, actually, we recruited and ask them to help and everyone's doing it pro bono and just because they believe in the cause and now she's at a place where she's able to hire people like I'm really proud of what she's built and being a part of it and all the people we have gotten to sign on I mean it's ridiculous could you share in case some of our listeners haven't heard uh, what the 15% pledge is and and how people can maybe get involved Yes. So the 15% pledge is an effort to get big box stores and retailers to commit 15% of their shelf space to Black-owned businesses. So Aurora started this because a lot of Black-owned businesses were suffering as a result of the pandemic. And as you can imagine, they're suffering more than those larger retailers. So she wanted to do something to save the community as someone who's a small business owner herself. Uh, Brother Valley's is her business. And she has just done this amazing job of getting in these rooms and getting huge retailers like Macy's to sign on, getting Madewell to sign on, Sephora. And now you can go into those stores and see Black brands being carried. I think that's it's magic. I love it. Yeah, I think it's just really crazy because she was able to do something that had such clear impact and clear accountability, but also something that goes beyond just like a quota because it's truly getting people the opportunity to shop Black-owned businesses without having to think twice about it, which is really exactly how it should be in a world in a world where equality truly exists. So you're a cultural lead for Black women at Facebook. So on top of the 15% pledge, how did that come about? And was that an initiative that already existed when you were there or something you helped build up? So Black Women at Facebook started a few years ago, and it was started by Tori Bell, who still works at the company. And she had this passion coming out of International Women's Day, which is a big event we have at Facebook. And she realized that there's there was no intersectionality. It was a day where we spoke to a lot of white women, but there weren't a lot of women of color. So she was really excited and energized about the opportunity to create this group. So she created it. She and I are friends, and she brought me in early on before there really was a board. It was just 
her and a couple other people on the diversity team who helped her build it. And I jumped in. We started a tentpole event where we have a dinner for Black women at our Black Community Summit that Facebook hosts annually. So it started as that event, just a room full of Black women enjoying a dinner. That was our first big thing we did. And she did a few uh, smaller brunches and events across offices that were really awesome. But from there, it's grown. And so now we have a leadership team globally, and I sit on that. And in my role in culture, it's really to make sure that we have programming that resonates. Uh, we're talking to the right people. I do a thought leadership series where I bring in different speakers to speak to the Black Women Act community. So it's really a labor of love. I got brought into it really just by having a passion for mm-hmm. having a space to celebrate my identity. But I'm not going to lie to you. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to plan events, host discussions, find guests, do 15%, do my actual job, have a social life. So haven't heard of a social life. <laughs> no, no social life, barely. No, but I guess I guess something I was curious about is because talking to all sorts of different leaders, I think there's so many different ways to to ensure that inclusivity and diversity actually happens. I feel like what you're talking about a lot is really empowering the black women that are within the company. Are you curious to expand it to see like how you can bring in allies? Are you already bringing in allies? Or do you feel like right now at this point, the best way for you to make an impact is just to make the people at Facebook, the Black women at Facebook seen? I definitely think it's a little bit of both. I really want the community to feel seen and heard and have a space where they feel comfortable at the company. Tech is a predominantly white space and Black women need a space to hang out. Sometimes I just want to hang out and talk to my friends. Like it doesn't have to be a moment of activism. It doesn't have to be a moment where we're trying to solve any big problems. But I also am at a place where I think it is important for us to have allies. There are people at the company who care about the work we're doing. There are people at the company who make our work happen. We couldn't do it without our diversity team, which is made up with made up of a set of different people of all different races and genders. So it's amazing to have allies who listen to us and push us and advocate for us. So it's a little bit of both. I really think our best allies understand that we need both. We want them in the room and they're comfortable when we say, yeah, we don't really need you for this. I guess something that it makes me consider is is just this idea of how that's all tied in with your life. You've launched uh, Define Normal. You examine all sorts of different constructs of of what normalcy means. So, you know, tying that into all of these different initiatives and Define Normal into your own life, how have you pulled all these pieces together? And it's a lot of pieces to pull together. <laughs> It's enabled me to make change in my own life by seeing what's really important to me. I love getting my hands dirty. I love being involved in a lot of efforts, but where it's really netted out is the most important efforts are tied to my identity. So when you think about Black Women at, it's very obvious I'm a Black woman, but there's so much there about making life better for Black women ahead of me. I like my job. I like the company. There are things that could be better, but I also just want it to be better for the Black women ahead of me. And then I think about define normal. And in a lot of ways, that's the same mission. I, My life has been very interesting. Like I grew up in a predominantly white space in Ohio, and that was normal to me. And then I got to New York City, and I'm like, okay, that's maybe that's not normal, but that's normal to me. So it's another place of making it better for those who come after me. I want people to let go of normal. If you and I talked about our two childhoods or adult experiences, like what is normal? They're different. Like yours isn't normal. Mine isn't normal. It's, it is what it is. So 
at a baseline, those things are about making it better for those after us. I spent a lot of time questioning my identity. And so I commit so much time to making other Black women feel safe in spaces. So whether that be the 15% pledge, a Black woman being able to see her products in Sephora. I think that's like, that's crazy. That's amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. And life-changing for a brand. If you built a company and suddenly you get an order from Sephora, like Aurora and our team did that. Like that means so much to me. So all the work I do is about making lives of Black women ahead of me and behind me better. So then I guess I have to ask you the question. Now that you're doing all this work, who is Shelby Jones? (laughs) Shelby Shelby (laughs) Jones is like, uh, Shelby Jones is a lot of things. I am a builder. I'm a doer. I'm one of those people who always has something to do. I am just constantly evolving. I think that's what's really interesting about this age. When you're younger, when you think you're almost 30, you think you're going to be, you think you're going to be something, right? Like I bought a house, I'm married or something. None of those things are happening. But None of <laughs> I am I am evolving and I'm trying to just make the world a better place, which sounds very cliche. But when to go back to your one of your first questions, when I thought about what success looked like, I thought I wanted to like be a boss, like run a team, be a VP one day. And it's crazy mm-hmm. how that's evolved. I have no interest in that. I want to continue to sit in a role that allows me to do this other stuff that serves black women, serves the community. Because if I win, other people win. A win for black women is honestly a win for a lot of other people. So for everyone, I just like to focus on that. And I am someone who cares about my identity almost over success these days, which is scary to admit, because that's, that's definitely a growth. There, there's a me who wanted to be like, CEO or something. (laughs) And I've let it go. Right. And I and and I, I think that there's just like different paths, right? And I think when you're younger, you like hear somebody say that and you say, yeah, 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 but my path is still CEO. Like, don't worry about it. And now it's true. It's like having the space physically and metaphorically to do stuff. It's just like, it's just so much more gratifying. Right. So I'm definitely aligned on that. So I guess then learning about who you are now and hearing about all these amazing things you're doing, I have to ask you our innovation question, which is where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? Wow. Um, One month from now, I will not be in New York anymore. I'll be back in the Midwest. So I see myself continuing to kind of sit with being at home and learning to find that balance between work and home. That's something that I've really, really been working on. Where do I see the industry a month from now? Kind of straddling between getting back to normal and knowing that it's not. There's so many conversations about what it looks like when we go back to offices and when we can stop talking about COVID. The answer seems like never. (laughs) Never. So a month from now, I feel like I'm going to be having the same conversations. Uh, A year from now, I see myself back in New York in a non-COVID world and hopefully doing something new with the company. I have been ready for a change right now I'm doing a ma- I'm doing a maternity leave cover so I'm I'm the site lead of New York for GMS and business so I'm basically working with our sales and marketing teams plus business teams and working on return to office and culture and all that kind of stuff so I see myself in a new role I think this new experience will change what I end up doing at the company huge innovation opportunities across both of those huge innovation opportunities and then 
10 years from now, oh my God, is daunting. I see the industry evolving beyond recognition. I, when I think about what social media is going to look like, I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared. Yeah. I'm scared to even go down that journey. I think that we're going to connect with more people than ever. What's been really cool about the evolution is it's focused on people first. So I think we're going to continue to see all these communities bubble up that we didn't even know about. And I, I discover new ones every day. So that's something that excites me about our industry in the next 10 years. Me in the next 10 years, I hope I'm still living in New York. I kind of want to be building my own thing by then, though. I don't necessarily want to work for anyone. I see myself writing a memoir and still hosting my podcast and helping Black women. Still defining normal. Still defining normal. Yes. I love that. No, very, very exciting. And it's been a real pleasure talking to you about all the many exciting things that you are doing. So I really hope to see you in 10 years and I'll be looking forward to checking out your trajectory in the meanwhile. Amazing. Thank you. This was so fun. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.